hot. And I mean that in this way. <laughs> I'm not being self uh, whatever it's called. Um, anyways, this morning, by the way, there's something else that needs to be announced. The Marshalls aren't here because they had their baby last week. So if you get a chance to see the Marshalls, when, uh, I'm sure she'll be showing up here eventually with a newfound gift in her hands. It's good to see that uh, Josh made it back from camp, and he's safe and sound. And all the youth made it back, so that was a good thing. So give him a round of applause for his here. I'm sure he'll give us a report on how all that went in the coming weeks, so make sure you show up for that. Also, um, I believe there was one other thing before I... Oh, I got... Uh, she was talking about the Kids Club and their theme this summer. It's actually really cool. I went up there and I got my, uh, my inspector's badge. What's it called? Spy, my spy badge. Thank you very much. So I'm an official spy. <laughs> I, said, I said, this isn't like Big Brother, is it? What's going on up there? there? No. It's actually really cool. So if you get a chance, please go up there. And uh, today we're actually going to spend our time in just one section of Scripture. So I'm not going to bounce you around a lot. But I want you to look at James chapter 2 if you have your Bibles. And the reason I'm doing this is we're wrapping up sort of this series over the next couple weeks, and we're talking about the last commandment. We talked about the Ten Commandments, and now we're adding the one new commandment, which all of you should know by now, the new command is to love. Thank you very much. And that is important. But you love one another as you love who? Ah, there we go. That gets a little tricky, by the way. People are, have a really hard time even saying that. You need to love yourself. Well, you love yourself as God loves you, right? That's the tricky bit. You're going to see that in this section. James, I love James, not only because he was the brother of Jesus and he saw this kid grow up, basically, the perfect son, the perfect brother. But I also love this because this whole section of James, this letter of James, deals with this faith without works is basically dead, and he talks to the tongue, and he talks to the actions of the heart as well as the life itself. And it's just a phenomenal letter if you get a chance to read it. But nestled in the middle, sort of a crust, sort of a, a pivot for the book itself, is this section in James chapter 2. And it starts in verse 8. He says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture... Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder... You've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He introduces us to this new law and he wraps it in this letter and explains how it affects everything you do. In fact, when you became a Christian... I think what should have occurred is you should have realized how you went from Old Testament law to New Testament law. And what I mean by that is so many Christians live under the Ten Commandments and have not understood the fulfillment of the new law in their life. And that law is love. In fact, not just any love, but here James very adequately 
puts it as, hold on a second, let me get this to work. Got it? Is it working yet? It's not working. Hold on a second. Technical glitches this morning. If you could uh, click a button for me, say, click it one more time. They know this part. I had air quote. There we go. The royal law. James here puts it as a royal law, and he says that love reigns supreme. In fact, that word could be translated the supremacy of. It is the greatest of. Yeah, what should have happened is you should have realized under that law of Old Testament you sinned, and now let's take a look at your new life. Because you should now be living in love. In love with God, in love with people. Yes, even in love with self, as God sees it. Not as you'd like to see it, by the way. So what I thought I'd do to help you understand this section better is I want to teach you about sort of creeds. I think you need to begin to look at your Christian faith and say, now how does this begin to develop what I believe and what I do? Well, that's actually called a creed. And a creed is basically what you believe and what you do. Did you there we go. It's a set of beliefs or aims that guide someone's actions. You should have a set of beliefs in your life that guide your actions. They should be born out of what Jesus did for you. They should be fulfilled in your life on a daily basis. This is a creedal system. That means you believe this. So what should be your first creed, even based upon verse 8, that you really keep the royal law found? Absolutely. In fact, your first creed should be, love is the supreme law of my life. It's the supreme law of my life. Love is the primary focus of my life. In all areas, I seek to love. Love should define all that you do in your life. How you love your wife? Yes. How you love your children? Absolutely. How do you love your bank account? How do you love your neighbor? How do you love yourself when you're a youth and you're going through changes? How do you love yourself as you're getting older and going through changes? It's a supreme law that should be evaluated in your life at all times. You know, when I'm stretching and growing and trying things and be, trying to be more and more like Jesus as his spirit's working through my life, I find it fascinating that what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to love better. I'm trying to be a better lover of people, of self, of others, of God. And his, his laws, his truth guides me. It is the aim of my life to love the way God loves because in that love, folks, is really where you're going to find your life. But the problem is you go out those doors, and even in churches, the way they define love is ridiculous. They, they look at love as avoidance of any pain or suffering or avoidance of any sort of dealing with reality. I like to call that reality. Jesus took reality head on, and he said, let me show you how love changes the way you live day to day in the real world that is fallen and broken and how you can make it whole again. Let me show you how it can fulfill what you do. Notice here in the next section he talks about the Old Testament law. If you show favoritism, he says, if you show favoritism, you sin and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now before this he had talked about the rich so I want to give you some context before we move on to this next creed. The rich in his age literally impoverished people. They uh, literally pressed down 
on people. They kept people in class systems. The being rich at this time was very difficult. Why? Because if you're rich, typically you weren't a nice person. You're an elitist. Do we have those in the United States? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we also have some, some phenomenally, wonderfully rich people. And of course, compared to the world, everybody in this room is... Just turn to your neighbor and say, hey, it's good to have a millionaire. You know? The reality is you're rich. But back in this time, the poor, the class systems, they didn't... They did not like the rich because they, they would take them to court. They would keep them in oppression. They would treat them poorly. If you weren't a slave in Rome, which remember the Roman Empire at its height, 33% of those people, like 30, 33% were slaves of the Roman Empire. I mean, they enslaved everybody. They were not prejudiced in any way. It didn't matter what color the skin you were, they would enslave you. They went in, they took slaves. And so there was these... Uh, oppressed people groups. And when Christianity first spread, it spread to the poorer people. And he sits here and he says, don't show favoritism. And he's talking about both ways. Don't show favoritism to the rich because they're rich. And don't show favoritism by just looking to the poor and saying the poor are better than the rich. Don't show favoritism, period. Because the second you do that, you're breaking the law. The whole of the law does not show favoritism. We are all lawbreakers. You get this? We've all sinned and fallen short. In fact, the way he words this, I love it more in the Greek than the English. When he says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, what he's telling you here is that the law itself in the Old Testament is not many laws. There's a reason why the Ten Commandments don't have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Because it was looked at as a whole. It is the law of God, period. It included all that stuff. And the issue was, if you break the spirit of the law under murder, under adultery, under anything, you've already broken all of it. If you mess up once, you blew it for the whole thing. Listen, Adam and Eve, the best we could tell is they blew it once. But that's all it took, right? So what I'm getting at here is, don't you believe that you've sinned? I mean, if you come into a relationship with Jesus, you realize, yeah, I've done things I should not have done. I've blown it. That's good news then, that you accept that and acknowledge that and know that because we've all sinned. And the best way to look at your life and keep yourself from showing favorites is to realize that. Don't forget that. Because in light of that, you have a creed that you've now put into your life. I show no favoritism because I too am saved by his grace and mercy. How can I favor one person over another if we're all saved by what? Grace, mercy. And many of us in this room have heard the word grace and we love the word grace and grace, the unmerited favor, grace, the, the pouring out of God's love in that sense on objects that maybe don't even deserve it. But mercy, mercy, mercy is what every blind man and uh, lame man that approached Jesus would cry out for mercy. Have mercy on me, Lord. Mercy is a fascinating thing when you look at it. It creates the state of where you're at. Mercy and humility close to each other and hand in hand. Your creed should be, I show no favoritism because I too am saved by his grace and mercy. Now, does this mean that you don't want justice? Absolutely not. Justice is there for the governments to be just. We should vote for justice. We should push justice. Do we take justice in our own hands? No. Do 
Do we show favorites? No. Do we love people without favoritism? Absolutely. And I'm just going to throw this out. Do you love Trump? Do you love Hillary? You see, instantly what happens? And I don't even have to preach a message. I'm done. <laughs> we live in a culture that goes out, you go out of these doors, we live in a culture of social media where they're playing favorites all the time with music, with politics, with the way you live, the house you live in, the car you drive. It doesn't matter. The phone you have, we play favorites. Man, I, I was on a plane the other day, and there was a gal in front of me, and, uh, and like social media, was, it was crazy. She did her hair, took like two or three Instagram instantly off the plane, and she was doing the, I mean, she, she was like connected. I thought there was something wired into her. Do you show favoritism? See, I'm going to love her as much as I love anybody. I'm going to love people not based on their age. Oh, you're too old for me to love you. You're too young. You don't even know enough for me to love you. Or by your sex. Or by the color of your skin. Or their cultural background. Need I go on and on and on. You see, when he dealt with the culture here, James was saying there should be no favoritism. The people that you abhor, the rich who oppress you, you should not show favoritism, which means you should not look down on them or up on them. You should love them. You should have this creed because you yourself are saved by grace. The same grace will save the rich and the poor, the white, the black, the, the brown, no matter what the skin color, no matter what the socioeconomics, no matter what the age, the same mercy falls on all mankind. Amen? That's what the law of love does. Because if you want to start playing favorites, well, then he will put you there under the old law. And under the old law, hmm, that's a dangerous place to live, folks. In fact, I believe he says here, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. You want to act that way, then God will treat you that way. And people will say, well, God lets, you know, lets all these sins go on too long. L listen, folks, he does not. He does not. In our heads, we think that. But, you know, the worst, most evil person on the planet right now, I promise you, they'll be dead within 100 years. And they will be judged. And that judgment will be true. But while they live and breathe, they have the same opportunity of grace and mercy as you and I. And that's what we're here for. How can you show mercy to yourself, let alone others, if you do not understand the nature of the law and the new law of love in your life? Right? He did not write the Old Testament laws so that you could go around judging others. He wrote the Old Testament laws so that you would judge yourself in your heart and realize that you've sinned and that we've all sinned and we all need salvation. It's a great magnifying glass as the kids are learning the truth. It is the law that becomes the truth that magnifies our hearts and says, wow. I blew it. But there's another creed in here that, that I want to show you as well. Speak and act with freedom because we have been shown mercy and we are free from the law. True freedom is merciful. I want to pull a little bit away from grace because I know many of you have heard about grace. 
But I want to move more, a little more into mercy today because I want you to understand the nature of mercy. How do you act when people are seeking mercy? Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives what? Freedom. Free at last. Free at last. No government will give you this freedom. No government will ever give you this freedom. Only the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will free your heart because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy does what? Triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins. Mercy is victorious. It creates a whole new creed in our life. I speak and I act with grace and mercy. You know where he, this is fun about the text, by the way. You know where he's, he's sort of commanding you? He's not asking you, he's telling you. There's one section in here where he tells you exactly what you should do. And it's right here in verse 12. Two imperatives. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. Speak and act. Speak and act. Is that who you are, someone who speaks with freedom, acts with freedom, shows grace and mercy? If people talked about, when I'm with that person, man, they are so gracious in their speak, speech. They're so merciful to people. I can't believe how much mercy they show to people. Is, is that what first exemplifies you? And by the way, I'm not saying this means to allow injustice to go on or not to uh, tell people that that's wrong, okay, or that these things should not be done. But you should be earmarked by freedom, and mercy and grace. Is that what comes out of you as a primary focus of your life? I cannot believe how merciful that person is. That person offended them and they did what? Well, you see, you forgot something about your faith. You have a debt, the only one debt that Jesus said must remain in your life and it is the debt to love others. You owe it to the person who offends you to love your enemy. But how does that go for you? Let's talk reality. When somebody spits in your face, how do you really act? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, when somebody spits in your face, your first gut reaction is, I really don't like you. And I want to do something back, right? Retaliatory, remember? And we talked about it in the law, the law of retaliation. No, non-retaliation. We step above that and we are able to not retaliate as Jesus showed us how to do that. Why would you not retaliate? Because in not retaliating, you begin to show mercy. But the only way you're ever going to show mercy and grace to a person like that, in that non-retaliatory way, is if you understand the nature of their life. And here's the thing that kills me. I think it's why we're not motivated as much as we need to at many levels. Do you really believe people who don't follow Jesus are damned and going to hell? Do you really believe it? Because I don't know about you, but they can slap me, they can kick me, they can punch me, they can crucify me, and the reality is I should still pity them because I should show them mercy and grace because they need salvation before it's too late. They need salvation above all things in their life. No matter what they're thinking when they offend you, it doesn't really matter. What they really need is what? What? 
Salvation. They need people who speak and act with grace and mercy in their life. Does that mean you let them get away with sin and all this other stuff? No, no, no. Let me be very clear with you. When somebody is not following Jesus, they are not under this new law. What are they under? Listen to Jesus. Listen to James. Listen to God. They are the one that are judging without mercy. And how will they be treated when they meet God? Mercilessly. People don't look at God as merciless, by the way. But he absolutely is because he's the purest judge. The problem is you're not him. That's not the way you live. You live like Jesus. And Jesus showed what? Mercy. Dear Lord Jesus, show mercy. If you can't see beyond the offense to love the person enough to show mercy and pity and compassion, just knowing the nature of the soul, you should know the nature of the soul that is not in Christ. You know, the worst thing I could ever do to that person compared to what God could do is nothing. My job is really to love people and to show them grace and mercy and say, man, you need to come to Jesus. You need to find a way to come to Jesus. You need to speak and act with grace and mercy. There's another creed in here I'd love to look at. Love teaches us how to live triumphantly as freemen. We live as objects of his mercy and grace. We're the objects of God's grace and mercy. I want to show you the creed on this, and I want you to reflect on your heart a little bit. My life experiences victory because I have experienced the mercy and grace of Jesus in it. Why is your life victorious? Because of your bank account, your job, your relationships, your wife, or God's mercy? Why is your life free? Because of your education? Because of how you were raised? Because of where you were raised? The culture you were raised in? Or is it because of mercy? Now the tough one. You thought the other one was tough. This is the tough one. How do you experience the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ in your own life? How many sins did he forgive you of? Let's just reflect a little bit. How many sins did Jesus forgive you of? All. That's the right answer. And, and just in the past or in the present? Or maybe the future too? All. All of them. Why do you hold on to them then? And, and when you sin or when you struggle or when you have a hard struggle, do you give it to God? Do you fall? Are you the beggar on the side of the road that says, cries out for mercy? And is God merciful? Even in the Old Testament, they knew that. They knew that, you're, they knew that God's mercy would come. They knew that he was merciful. Jonah knew it. It's why he ran away from it. He didn't want to do what God wanted to do because Jonah wanted those people damned and going to hell. God said, no way. I show mercy on who I show mercy. And today in the life we live in, get this, guys, God is merciful to everyone under his grace until his judgment. 
So you are objects of his mercy. That means every day you should get excited about the mercy of Jesus in your life, the grace of Jesus in your life. What about grace did you get excited about? What about mercy? You know, I sin too. And since you can't show favoritism, remember this, it includes me. You catch that? We can't show favoritism, it includes me. So you can't sit there and say, well, the pastor's a pastor, and you can't put me someplace else in your little head. Now, you can sit there and say, hey, he may have integrity, you love, but you should love everyone. Are you merciful to yourself? Gracious to yourself? Then why are so many kids and young ladies growing up with all these identity issues? If that was true, if we had really accomplished this law, and the first step of the law is into mercy and grace, why do young women struggle with identity? Can I, can I maybe throw something out here? They go out into the world and they see all pictures of what a woman should be, and they talk to their friends about what a woman should be, right? And in that picture, there's none of God. And their friends show favorites. And their little cliques walk around in clickish ways. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? God have mercy on the souls of men. He did. You're the object. You're the object of mercy and grace. You've got, you've got to understand that. When, when you're an object of mercy and grace, it's like it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I blow it, I sin, but then I get on my knees, I, get a, I pray, I ask forgiveness, and God forgives me. And I experience that grace and that forgiveness. If I'm not experiencing that, I need to be on my knees more. I need to be the beggar on the road crying out for mercy until God gives it to me. Because you know what? He promised he would give me mercy for those who follow him and know him. And listen, if you cannot love yourself as God loves you, then how can you do what? You can't sit here and tell me you're not a prejudice, bias, whatever you want to call yourself. If you can't love yourself the way God loves you, how are you going to love your neighbor as yourself? You want your, your neighbor to have the same self-image issues you have? Self-worth issues or, self, or lack of worth issues? Come on. You're not great because you're great. You're great because God made you, elevated you, saved you, showed you his mercy, created you in his image, did all these wonderful things, and planted his own spirit in you. Your value is found solely in him, but man, you've got to get that right first. This should be the first step in our salvation. Who are you in Jesus Christ? I love the way he puts it here. He's not avoiding that there's consequences to our actions. What he's basically saying is, listen, guys, God will be merciless, but it will be to those who show no mercy. And I know a lot of Christians that treat other people mercilessly. And I sit there and I go, maybe you're not what you think you are. Maybe you should go back to step one. Maybe you should learn to love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law. That's why I love this series. The series itself bridges the old into the new. 
And when you hear people talking about Christians and stuff and how they're judgmental, you know what they usually say if they're non-Christians because they really don't know their Bible very well? Is they'll say, yeah, but it's in your Old Testament, right? They go back to the Old Testament like we're still living how many thousands of years ago? And we're following that? I thought we were following a new law under Jesus Christ. Did that abolish the old? No, the old's a great magnifying glass for your sin. If you don't know you're a sinner, just read the Ten Commandments. Read what Jesus said about them. But once you know that, once the Spirit of God resides in you, once you've experienced the freedom and the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, how do you live then? What is your value then? What is your life then? Well, right here it shows you. You don't even have to look very far. Your life becomes triumphant. Not based on your occupation or how much you've moved up the ladder or how much money you have in your bank account. Your life is triumphant because of your eternal security, your eternal reward, your eternal salvation, and the love of God poured out unto you as his objects of mercy and grace. Nobody gets into heaven and says, oh, look at all the wonderful things I did for Jesus, how many people I led to Jesus, and then that's what gets them into heaven. No. We are objects of his mercy and grace. We get to heaven and we celebrate God's grace. I fall under the same thing you do. The same mercy, the same compassion. But Kelly, you know, you got more integrity. Okay, I get that people look better than other people, but it does not matter. <laughs> Never assume because a person seems to act better that they're not under God's mercy and grace. Never show favoritism. Did you get that? Should you respect authority? Absolutely, but that's a biblical principle. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping the one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you should let that work with your head for a while. Because I'll promise you, there's something about yourself you don't love the right way. You need to think about it. How could I love myself more the way Jesus loves me? Well, why do you always feel that guilt? Is it a righteous guilt? Well, if it's a righteous guilt, then go do what is right and please the Lord. But if it's just a guilt because your parents made you guilty, seek his freedom. 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 I don't know what was poured into you. I don't know what people preached about you and thought about you and said about you when you were 12 years old. I know what Jesus says about you, what God preaches into you right now through his words. And this is the place you should live. This is what you should be talking to yourself about. This is the triumph you should have in life. This is the freedom you should focus on. And you should stop playing favorites. Okay? It seems clear. But can I just share something? Out of old New Testament study, when they're canonizing and bringing all these letters together to be what you call the New Testament, do you realize James was a highly debated book? Not, not as much as like Hebrews, but it was, yeah, it was highly debated. Why? Because James did this funky little thing, thing where he said, you know, Faith without works is what? Well, hold on. That, that destroys the grace of God. No, what James is saying is that when the grace of God is real, 
what happens? You do something with it. The grace of God is not without action. It, it empowers you to freedom. Good night. And if the grace of God has no impact in your life, then you may need to question the grace that you've accepted. How much does God love you? How free are you? So write down. Love's mercy shows no favoritism. Love's mercy shows no favoritism. of yourself or others. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all the young women in our culture realized how valuable and beautiful they are in the eyes of God? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all the men in our culture understood how incredibly beautiful they are to God and strong? God made you that way. if you could flush away all those things that were said about you that tore you down? If you just flush them away, right? Well, the only way that's going to happen is when you start living in the mercy of God. Don't wake up in the morning falling upon your own merit. Wake up in the morning falling on the grace and mercy of God. Because no matter what happens, if you love yourself the way God loves you with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, then you will truly understand how to love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Jesus, that you fulfilled the law. Not the 300, over 300 laws, not the 10 laws, not, not the over 600 in some ways, but you fulfilled the law the law that made us uh, just aware of sin that is readily a part of our, our life without your grace. But your new law. Jesus, the one that you modeled in life and on the cross and in the grave and in your new resurrected life. That love fulfilled all things and brought freedom to our lives. So I ask this morning... May we be a people who step out of here praising you through music, but praising you even in our hearts throughout the week. For your mercy and your grace covers a multitude of sins, known and unknown, past and present and future. And your love is enduring and freeing. May we be a person, people of mercy and grace that go out into a world that is hungry for that, Help us to love others the way that you love us. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us for one last song.